Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad uh, to see you guys. Here's a challenge I want to throw out to you. It may not be a challenge for the extroverts. For the introverts, it's more of a challenge. If there is somebody you miss, somebody in the church, I guess if you miss them in general, it's good to call them, but I'm thinking specifically about the church. If there's someone you miss, would you call them? Reach out to them. Find out how they're doing. You know, our church has four to 500 people, and in this month, our goal is to call them because there's about 50, 55 people in this room. So there's a lot of people we haven't seen, and we're going to start reaching out to them, finding out how they're doing. But it's good when it comes from us, but it's good when it's us together, moving as the body of Christ, reaching out and connecting. It's important for us to, to reconnect and pull back in and really find out where people are. What are the challenges they're facing? What are the struggles, difficulties? Some of us, the more introverted kind love this season <laughs> just ha- happy you put on the mask right I mean my wife tells me I'm actually quite an introvert so I when I go to the store I put on the mask the hat and the sunglasses okay and so I see some of you sometimes and I feel guilty not saying hello but but I just kind of want to get in there and so some of you are doing well but for those of us that are more in the people oriented life uh, it's a challenge this season really has been hard Difficult, difficult for churches, certainly on staffs. Uh, most of us go into ministry because we love people and we want to see an impact in people's lives. And when we don't get to connect like that, you just feel lost, anchorless in some ways. And so what I'm going to share with you today is what the Lord has used to write me <laughs> over the last uh, couple of months. Um, You know, I'm a disciplined person, but I'm not disciplined in that I do the same thing at the same time every day. And that's probably the definition of discipline, doing the same thing the same time every day. But what I'm I'm suggesting is in my disciplined life, I do the same thing every day, just not at the same time. And one of the things the Lord has taught me to do, and I've done this a few times, is to memorize Scripture. And the way that I do that is not by sitting there and looking at it. That drives me nuts. You know, to have the little cards and you're carrying the card and you're flipping them and you're putting on the the mirror. I know some of you do that. And that's great. That's important. It just doesn't work for me. What I have to do is to listen to something literally a thousand times. And eventually through the audio memory, it starts to sink in. And so what I've been memorizing, and I've memorized it probably 10 years ago. And during my prayer walks during the week, I'm really finding this book coming back. So I'm like, okay, Lord, you're telling me something. And it's the book of First Peter. Because, see, the book of First Peter is written to a community who was suffering. Now, they were suffering because of their identity to Jesus. And they were suffering in a world that wasn't very favorable to the gospel, wasn't favorable to Christianity. Instead, there was persecution from this emperor. You may have heard his name. Sometimes people call their dog. Nero. Have you met a dog named Nero? Anyways, it's not a good name. But Nero persecuted Christians actually burned them on the stake, threw them into the pits, and the lions would tear them apart. They'd make them fight each other. Just horrible, uh, deplorable things. But these Christians went through this suffering. When you read this book, here's what's, here's what's really striking to me, what really 
kind of shocks my heart is the way that Peter describes how these Christians should respond to that level of suffering and pain. Because, see, today I'm watching the church, and there's aspects of the church I don't recognize from Scripture. The way that we're responding to COVID, the way that we're responding to different things, it seems like we're fluid in frustration today. Have you ever been fluid in a language? Some of you are fluent in Swedish, I guess, we, right? Or uh, French, 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 France, whatever. Um, Spanish, you know what I'm talking about. When you're fluent in something, you understand. You can not only think it, you can speak it. And I think in this culture, we're fluent in COVID. We're fluent in the numbers of COVID. We're fluent in masks, liking masks, hating masks. We're fluent in the politics of this season. And, and in many ways, all of that's led to this fluency of contempt, this fluency of frustration. We know how to talk to ourselves in a way that makes us angry. I mean, do you guys do that? You just get frustrated. You sit in that pile of just, ah. And, and we know how to talk to ourselves like that. And here's the challenge for the church. We have to engage culture in a way that reveals Christ and the kingdom, not our frustrations. And often what we do is we fight for our rights, for our individualistic kind of method of moving out into the world. But when you read 1 Peter, these were Christians who were being tarred and feathered. They were being killed, ripped apart. And yet the way that Peter says, you're going to overcome culture, not by yelling, not by tweeting, I know, surprised, right? Not by Facebook. You're going to do it by overcoming evil with good. So when we jump into this letter, there are some aspects of it that are shocking. So let me kind of touch on a couple of cultural issues that are going to rub us the wrong way, certainly if you've never been in this book. One is slavery. This word, slave, submit to your masters with all respect. Now, slavery in the first century is not the slavery of the 19th century. When individuals went over to Africa and took uh, blacks, uh, African-Americans, uh, not African-Americans at that time, African-Africans at that time, and brought them to the United States or brought them to the different islands, and they saw these individuals because of their color as, as less than they were. Now, slavery in that time was actually due mainly to economics. It could be due to uh, the triumph of one army over another. If you got a mortgage and you couldn't pay it, there was no forgiveness. It was jail or it was slavery. And so slavery is more akin to employment today, even though slavery was not a good thing. It's not the slavery that we think of of racism and and subjugation in that sense. Next, you ready for this? There were many in the first century that came to faith. They were women. And see, women in that time did not have the rights that we have today. And because of that, if your husband worships some foreign god and you worship Jesus, you are in a very bad spot. Because he was expected of a wife to worship the gods of her husband. And so Peter's going to use some words, wives, submit to your husbands. But he's going to also reference this in a way because, see, this woman had no power. And so when you have no power, how do you live in such a way that reveals Jesus and not yourself? See, because they had no power. The only way you're going to change the circumstance is, is to, to, to kind of get under the surface and reveal Jesus in a way that shocks the heart 
of this husband, it begins to change him. So there's some language in there like obey your husbands, call him your master, okay? And, and that is very specific to that time. So I'm kind of giving you a caveat because those are some challenging areas. So here's what I want to do before I jump into this. And it was a little difficult last night. Last night we had a bunch of wind coming through the parking lot. And so trying to quote this book while everything was flying was a little tough. So this morning I think we're going to do a little bit better. But uh, I want to give you an outline of the book so that as you listen, and I hope you have your Bible open, or take your phone out or however that works for you, and follow along. I'm going to be in the NIV. This is the 1984 version. It doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately, I bought up like 12 Bibles when they discontinued it, so I've got a stack, right? So until Christ comes back, I'll, I'll have enough NIVs. But anyways, um, I'm going to be in that. But here's an outline. Ready? So First Peter is written to Christians who are suffering. The big question you have to ask about this book is, is it written to Jewish Christians or non-Jewish Christians? I think it's written to both. So if you're struggling with that, that's okay. It begins with a song of praise, verses 3 through 12. And in verses 3 through 12, Paul is, uh, Paul, Peter, is introducing the main themes of this book. And he's describing the three themes in, in verses 3 through 12, which is really a song of praise. You see this in Ephesians it starts exactly the same way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It starts the exact same way because Scripture begins with good news. And what I want to challenge us in is that we be fluent in the gospel, fluent in good news, and stop being fluent in frustrations. Stop being fluent in contempt. Stop being fluent just in politics or our personal agendas. Let's be fluent in Scripture. And so verses 3 through 12 begin with this song of praise that outline three themes. Here are the three themes. The first thing, it starts in chapter 1, verse 13, to chapter 2, verse 11. And in chapter 1, verse 13, through chapter 2, verse 11, so as we get to that point, you may want to mark that so you know we're in this new theme when you get to verse 13. It's talking about us being a new family because of Jesus and the identity we have. Now, here's what's shocking. It uses language that describes Israel in the Old Testament, like you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare. And now realize these are Gentile Jewish Christians. They're spread out throughout the world. They're suffering. They're going through hardships. They probably feel horrible. They've lost their jobs. They lost their income. They're going to possibly lose their lives. And God's saying, hey, listen, it looks bad, but you, hey, listen, you're a chosen people. I know your situation doesn't look like it. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. I need to hear that. Because, see, I look at myself, I see my sin, I see my brokenness, I see my ugliness. And what gets us out is not frustration, it's good news. So you're going to see this new identity in Christ because we are believers. This is who we are. Then, I think it's chapter uh, 2, verse 12, to chapter 4, verse 11, he starts talking to those who are suffering. And he starts talking to different people like slaves. He talks to all of us in, in terms of those who are under authority. He talks to women. He talks to husbands. He describes those who are going through suffering. He says, listen, this suffering you're going through is unjust. But realize it's an opportunity. What's an opportunity to do? To reveal Jesus, to reveal God in a way that otherwise it couldn't happen. You see this throughout Scripture. It seems like an oxymoron to us. Consider it joy whenever you go through trials of many kinds. Well, because, see, what happens is in this season, we have an opportunity. Though we're not suffering because we're Christians, we're just suffering because it's COVID, right? We have an opportunity to use that suffering 
instead of leading into the fluency of frustration, leading into the fluency of the gospel of the kingdom. And in verse, chapter 2, verse uh, 12, all the way to chapter 4, verse 11, it's saying suffer. But listen, if Christ is the center, he's going to do something through that. Do you see that? And when you look at the world, you see people suffering, but it's not suffering for anything good. It's not revealing anything beautiful. God can use that in the church to reveal himself. And then finally, in chapter 4, verse 12, all the way to the end, it's talking about your hope. So what are you hoping in? What do you want to see right in the world? And so when we get to that last section, what he's talking about is the return of Christ. And how the return of Christ, when he comes back, he's going to set right all the things that sin has broken. So do you see those three themes? First, because of Jesus, and we're centered around Jesus, we are a new family with a new identity. Own it. Live in it. Because you're going to move out into a world where there is suffering and persecution because we are Christians. There's an opportunity there to reflect something beautiful and good, which is the kingdom and Jesus Christ. And then finally, what are you hoping in? If you're hoping in the kingdom, if you're hoping in Jesus and the return of Christ, God is going to do something in that. Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, but is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, in this salvation, you greatly rejoice. But for a little while, just for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these trials have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For though you have not seen him, meaning Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see, they realized they were not serving themselves. But you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you, by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. See, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. 
But just as is he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb with, without blemish or defect. See, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith, your hope are in God. And now that you've purified yourselves, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers. Let us love one another deeply from the heart. For see, you have been born again. Not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass, it withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And therefore, what should we do? Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like, like newborn babes. Let's crave pure spiritual milk. So by it, you may grow up into your salvation now that we have tasted that the Lord is good. See, as you, as you come to him, the Lord, as you come to him, I just lost my place. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe... This stone is precious. But see, to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, Bergen Park Church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. Dear friends, as aliens, immigrants, strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires that just wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I got to look real quick. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, right? 
Yeah, that's what it was. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is by doing good that you silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. For how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Why? Because to this we have been called. To this we've been called because Christ Jesus suffered for you. He leaving you an example that, that you, should, you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him. He didn't retaliate. You know, when he suffered, he, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins, our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray, but now, now we've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. For if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without word.